This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's getting really hot in here. It's so hot. It's Getting Hot in Here is a programme about giving voice to the people in our community working for environmental and social change. The climate emergency is the defining issue of our lifetime. Our aim is to bring you content that helps us understand the climate crisis and explore actions to help us all to save ourselves. The number one election topic on the minds of readers of Newsroom and New Zealand readers of The Guardian? It's the climate crisis. So with this in mind, It's Getting Hot in Here went along to Tūranga, the Christchurch Central Library, to check out the debate hosted by Generation Zero, where Christchurch Central candidates for the election talked about matters relating to climate action in front of up to 100 people. Hi everyone, thanks for coming. My name's Cameron, I'll be the MC for tonight. Um, so a little bit about Generation Zero. So we're a non-partisan um, youth-led climate organisation that champions solutions towards a climate-neutral Aotearoa. We're volunteers, so we've got limited time and money, so if you do um, feel, a, feel a desire, there's a Koha box down the back, which will um, be greatly appreciated. Um, it's also the reason why we obviously couldn't invite everyone. So our national uh, Generation Zero campaign is about um, climate justice, which is particularly about how climate change um, uh, impacts um, and and interacts with existing inequalities. So in terms of debate format, we're going to have really quick introductions from everyone. Uh, Then we've got three 20-minute sections. Uh, They've got um, predetermined questions, which they've seen and hopefully have had a wee read of. Um, And then at the end, we'll have some time for questions from the audience. Uh, and so to do this, we're using a, um, an app called Slido. So if you um, have your phones there, then you can just go to the website slido.do and um, you enter as guest and enter the code 47960, and I'll repeat this a few times throughout the night. Um, once you're in there, you can either ask your own question or you can upvote um, other people's questions um, so they're more likely to be seen by our moderators. Uh, so in terms of speaking times, so we've got some noises that Rose will be making. Um, <laughs> so so that, that'll happen about 30 seconds before time. Um, there's a second bell that'll happen after time. Um, and then we might cut the mics if you, if you keep ignoring us. <laughs> um, if you want to rebut to something other people have said, that's what the um, funny wee hats are for. So um, keep them handy. If you want to have someone on about something they've said, then just chuck it on. Four seven nine six zero. You can't ask your own questions. And so with the with the rebuttals, we'll try keep them um, towards the end of. So once the person's finished speaking, then you can have thirty seconds to um, to address what they've said. Um, so with no further ado, let's um, start by having a um, thirty second elevator pitch of everyone to introduce yourself. Um, so. Unfortunately, our first candidate, um, Abby Johnson from ACT, um, couldn't make it. Um, so we will start with um, Chris Horn from the Greens. Welcome. Kira Koto. Uh, yep, I'm Chris Horn. I uh, am standing for the Greens in the central city. Uh, I have great concerns about climate change and also about social equity. So um, I guess we'll have some things to say. Thanks, Chris. Um, uh, Duncan, please. So, uh, my name is Duncan Webb. I am your current uh, Civic Labour MP. 
So my name is Dale Stevens, I'm the National Party candidate for Christchurch Central. Christchurch born and bred, uh, initially had a 20 year career in police, moved into the private sector, I've been a business leader and four different organisations, both here and overseas. My most current role is as the uh, Director of Māori Business at New Zealand Trade Enterprise, looking after Māori businesses as they export uh, to the four winds in the Hoiapa. Uh, and now I'm a candidate here for Christchurch Central. I'm really looking forward to this debate because I always believe it's a two-way uh, and I can lend as much as you guys as hopefully we can uh, clarify some stuff on this side of the road. I'll it up. Thanks, Dale. The microphone is going to turn on the microphone. Is it on mute, maybe? Really? Start again? <laughs> is that working now, is it? <laughs> okay, my name's Dennis O'Rourke. I'm standing for New Zealand First in the Banks Peninsula electorate. I was born in Christchurch and have lived all my life here, worked as a lawyer for 35 years in Christchurch, spent 15 years on the Christchurch City Council as a councillor for this ward, actually in the central city, um, and have had six years in Parliament, although not in the last three years, which I very much enjoyed. One of my top priorities is environmental sustainability, so I'll be having a few things to say about that, and I hope to get some good uh, challenging questions from you as well. Thank you, Dennis. Um, so if that's triggered anything from you, then remember that code is 47960. Um, so now we'll start sort of the, the body of the debate. Um, we've got three 20-minute sections coming up. So um, for section one, we've got the same question for all, five, all four candidates. Um, and we'd just like you to spend two and a half minutes talking about those of your policies that are most going to impact climate change, please. So um, Chris, maybe you'd like to start, please. Uh, do I need to stand up? Probably. Um, okay, so the Greens, uh, I was looking at the Orotaio, Orotaio um, assessment of the parties and their, and their climate policies, and the Greens are the only party that have a complete line of uh, good green circles in the um, assessment, so go have a look at that. Um, we have an enormous range of climate change policies from pure climate change, wanting to get our carbon emissions down to, to, to zero by 2030, um, to, from, to things like clean energy and uh, looking after poverty and, um, and, and making sure we have a just transition. So there's quite a lot that I could talk about here. Um, we want to make sure that um, electric cars and electric vehicles are affordable. We want to improve a whole lot of transport, and I'm going to be talking about that later, so I'm not going to talk about it now. Um, we need to make use of the opportunity that we have from COVID-19 and the expending that the government is doing to green our economy and to set ourselves up for um, and with jobs that are going to create that clean economy and provide us with the infrastructure that we need to... Um, to, to live in a sustainable and climate-friendly way. Uh, 
We need to make sure our investments and our government investments are all out of fossil fuels. We want to make sure that um, we don't have a return to drilling and oil drilling, so we need to be getting rid of that stuff on the, um, in New Zealand on the, on the coast. Um, we need to work with local government to increase our resilience because, as we know in Christchurch, we are um, going to be suffering quite a bit as the sea level rises and that's uh, quite a, a concern for anyone living uh, anywhere in Christchurch, I would say, actually. Um, we need to uh, yeah, make sure we have emissions budgets for businesses and for um, organisations that are, yeah, uh, corporations and things. What else have I got here? Um, we need to green our cities and towns. We're keen to see a lot more use of solar panels and of local grids for uh, solar power um, so that that can be shared between people and that communities can start to take charge of their own energy or a bit more of their own energy. Uh, we need to get to um, zero, uh, zero emissions in our electricity supply as quickly as we can and, um, and I've got 30 seconds or is that the end? 30 seconds. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, actually, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Um, Duncan, yeah, we'll follow, we'll follow the same order. All right. Uh, look, the, I, the first thing we absolutely need to do, and this may be, um, seems too straightforward, is not go backwards, you know, because we've spent a whole lot of time um, putting the Zero Carbon Act into place, reforming the Emissions Trading Scheme, uh, putting climate change into the Resource Management Act, and a whole lot of other stuff as well. Um, and we've got to make sure that whatever government's in next year doesn't get rid of any of that. Um, and there's not many choices there. Um, so that's the first thing. The other thing, and Chris, you know, obviously the Labour and the Greens are relatively close together on a lot of this. Another big one is just transitions. I want to start with it because it's important. It's important because what, it's not just a catchphrase. What it is is, is um, taking the change and humanising it, recognising that the changes we need to get to zero carbon affect lots of human lives and making sure that we bring those people along with us because we've absolutely got to persuade a whole lot of New Zealanders who this doesn't consume their every waking moment that this is a critical thing to do. This is absolutely essential to the well-being of all of New Zealanders and the wider world. So that's really important as well. Um, the other, of course, our other big policy is 100% renewable electricity. Um, in a normal hydrological year, you'll hear some people talking about, you know, the fact that there might be, um, you know, a fossil fuel-based um, power station somewhere, just in case there's no power for the country. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about getting to pretty much 98 or 99% absolutely 100% renewable energy um, so that we can uh, uh, abandon those fossil fuels and of course implement and enforce a ban on any new fossil fuel generation. Absolutely a need to do that. Um, building networks around alternative fuels, we need an, an electric network but we also need to, you know, you'll hear a lot about innovation as well. It has to be part of it and I just want to say this, yes we want to build a hydrogen network and an electric network to enable those technologies. But the most important thing we've got to do is have hard and enforceable carbon targets. It's including methane targets. It's, it's absolutely meaningless to say we're going to get rid of, lower or soften those targets and hope that people innovate. 
People will innovate when they need to innovate and with the encouragement by government, including things like research and development credits and other funding. But it's no good saying, particularly um, in the farming sector, that you know, we're not going to require you to take any steps, but please innovate. We absolutely need to keep farmers in the Zero Carbon Act. They've got an opportunity to step up, really encourage them to do that. But what we can't do is start softening those methane targets, because we know those methane targets. Methane is a really harmful gas. We've heard the narrative that it degrades over time. It's true. But we produce an enormous amount of methane from our farming sector. The farmers, farming sector can reduce it. It's been shown they will reduce it, and we need to hold them to it. Thanks, Duncan. Oh, yeah, that would be fine. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, New Zealand First has a pretty comprehensive uh, policy on climate change. We believe that we need to strike a positive balance between uh, continued economic development and climate change mitigation goals. So we do support the Climate Change Commission and the current legislation on that. In fact, uh, when I was in Parliament, I worked with uh, Kennedy Graham of the Greens and people from every one of the other parties. We got together, we would have dinner and talk about things and, and we started to talk about the legislation that's just been passed. I want to see that continue because collaboration between parties and consensus between them and the whole population is extremely important. If we don't get consensus, we're not going to get very far. We also support the emissions trading scheme but with agriculture in particular, we need to ensure its viability. And so we think we should do a couple of things. Firstly, to invest much more into research, into ways to assist the transition of agriculture to support a carbon zero goal by 2050. We also want the government to invest directly in assisting farmers to make that transition. Those two things we think are essential. So overall, I think what we want to see is a slow but accelerating move towards carbon neutral by the agricultural sector. And overall, we do need a comprehensive climate change strategy. The legislation itself isn't going to be enough. Covering every area so that every business, every farm, department, agency and every person knows what part they should be playing in it. We support the strategic plan for sea level rise produced by the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment. We want to see uh, government ensure that local authorities identify areas most at, most at risk and have a plan to deal with them, some areas by retreat, some by protection, and the government must have a fund to support that by providing for comp compensation where, where retreat is the option. We want to see a transition into the use of fossil fuels, and that means a transition to geo more geothermal power, wind power, solar, and some more hydroelectric, where that can be done sustainably. A hydrogen economy is coming, hydrogen ships, electric aircraft, hydrogen trucks, and electric cars, of course. We do see transport as uh, some of the low-hanging fruit, and that's an area we will be putting a lot of our attention to. Later on, I'll talk to you about our transport policy, which I think you'll see is well designed towards a low-carbon future. Thank you.
Testing, testing. Yes, we have liftoff. Uh, I'm going to talk about two things. Firstly, uh, my own, uh, I guess, journey in this world of uh, greening business and then some of the high-level stuff that National is looking at. So for the last six years, um, I've been busy coaching New Zealand businesses as they go into the offshore markets. But one of the things that's been really prevalent is how we move the mindset of New Zealand businesses away from strictly return on investment to a business model that involves social good and environmental sustainability and cultural good. And so there are two elements to that I think that are really important that we've worked really hard on in the last three or four years especially, and that is if we're going to have sustainable business practices, we actually have to change the mindsets at the boardroom level. And the easiest way that we can do that is to encourage the generation coming through, our rangatahi, our youth, because these are the people who have the social conscience that they can help imbue to, into our boardrooms. So one of the big things that I've been pushing for personally is to get younger people into boards, younger people into leadership uh, roles within business to help move the dial to get businesses away from straight return on investment into a more sustainable operating procedure. And I have to say, it's starting to work. And it's working uh, mostly in the Māori area because they already have a kaitiakitanga role over land anyway. So the environmental element is important to them. Uh, and so we use Māori business as an example of how it actually can work and can be successful. At a national level, uh, yes, we have concerns around uh, keeping the economy going while we transition to a, a green economy. Uh, we've already stated that. Uh, we fully supported the Zero Carbon Bill and you know, in 2015, um, under national government, we signed up the Paris Protocols. We're completely on side with the targets. I think what you'll find is we have some different ideas about how we get to those targets. Uh, we certainly don't want to remove uh, methane targets, but we want to make sure that right now our economy isn't overly hurt by our farmers struggling to meet these new requirements. Because one of the big things that farmers tell us is that to meet the requirements right now, they'll have to re, uh, de-stock their, their uh, cattle stock or their sheep stock. Uh, and we think there's a better way for them to achieve that that lets them, uh, businesses, still transact as we move to that new environment. When you talk to Rod Carr, for example, he talks about the fact that uh, we have a, a certain time limit. And I think he said about 2036, at which stage we won't be able to simply plant more trees to offset the carbon. Because at that stage we would have tapped out all of the land without going into food production land for whatever form of protein we want to farm. And so we have to, in the intervening period between now and 2034-36, we have to innovate and change our business models, change our practices to make sure we're actually minimising the carbon, not simply offsetting against our trees. Kia ora. So um, this is uh, from the National Party Policy website, that it will, and this is the statement, National will remove the review process around introducing agriculture into the emissions trading scheme in 2022. That means they won't put agriculture into the emissions trading scheme in 2022. And from the same website, pass seven changes to the zero carbon bill, including a review of the methane target. So the statement that is still on board with the Zero Carbon Act is not true. Thank you. So we're going to touch on the um, emissions trading scheme a little bit later. Um, cool. Thanks, everyone. So if anyone's got questions about anything, um, sly.do47960 is the code. Um, great. So now we've got two sections, uh, of, um, one, two sections of one question for each candidate, and these have been crafted from... Um, things that have come out throughout the campaign or, or po policies that have been announced. Um, 
So um, let's start with um, Duncan. So Duncan, we'd like to ask you about PT. So public transport patronage in Canterbury um, has been dropping. Um, ECAN wasn't able to continue their normal levels of service through COVID, um, and partly that was because of a lack of funding. So um, other than capital investment, um, we're keen to hear how you will help um, local governments increase their public transport ridership in the short term. That's um, that's a really good question, and public transport in the Canter and we, I think we need to say Canterbury region um, is is frankly a bit of a mess, um, and one of the reasons is its governance model, where you've got ECAN funding uh, the framework, um, and you've got the city council in Christchurch running the bus stops and what have you, and you've got um, the city council owning one of the bus companies and a private company owning another one, and having to work uh, with other um, other territorial authorities as well. So you've got WiMAC and Selwyn. So we've got to one of the first things we've got to do, and I can tell you that I've absolutely been working on this, is bringing those people all around the table together. Because the funny thing is it's a little bit of a tug of war um, between everyone about who pays for what. I mean, we've just had a big struggle over putting an expressway from Rangiora across the godforsaken Northern Corridor motorway that this Labour government and the Greens, I'm sure, would never have agreed to. But that it's there now, and we want to put a bus expressway on. Who's going to pay for that? Who's going to who's going to um, fund the bus extra bus to to run it? That's all a negotiation between local bodies. So we absolutely need to get people around the table. There is a funding model, and it's not capital, but the PTOM model, um, which is not the best. It, it's basically done on a lowest cost basis, um, and we absolutely need to look at that because we need to make sure that the buses are not just low cost um, but they're also you know comfortable timely and all of those things that people actually need but I also want to say one other thing and that is that public transport you cannot divide public transport from urban planning um, and it's how we build our cities as well because we don't just want to necessarily have a fantastic bus network we do want that but we want a walking and cycling network as well because we want to get people out of their cars in every possible way we can because there's a a real danger you'd end up into a park and ride mentality where you're still building suburbs 30 kilometres away from the central city and people drive their cars then jump on a bus when we actually want, and I'm the central city MP, we actually want people living around here where they can walk and cycle to where they want to live and play and work and all of those other things. Thank you. Right. Um Cool. So, um, Dale, we'll move to you next. Um, so, I'm keen to hear about some of the um, specific projects that you, um, your party's announced as um, election promises. And, and admittedly, it's, it's not just the National Party, but we're, we're curious to know how you guys can be sure that these are the best way to spend our hard-earned tax dollars um, when they're not going through the um, independent lens of Wakatahi or NZTA. Oh, kia ora for that. So uh, the reference here is to our infrastructure projects around roading, but I wanted to just highlight that we have another a number of other infrastructure projects that have been announced over the last sort of three or four weeks. First in education, uh, building more schools, uh, infrastructure work around that, in health, uh, upgrading hospitals, uh, sp specific targeted hospitals around the country, infrastructure work on that. We announced today uh, a water strategy around uh, the three lenses on water to make sure that we have sufficient water storage. Uh, and we all know of the recent issues in, uh, in Auckland, 
Thankfully, we don't have that issue in Christchurch, but we have water storage issues, so there's infrastructure work we announced around that as well. Um, then we turn to roads. There's uh, infrastructure projects designed for roads. They are long-term. They've been set up as part of a 30-year programme. Uh, we also know that good roads lead to safer roads for our people and lead to um, more efficient use of carbon fuels while we transition to an EV fleet. So we're going to need the roads anyway for the EV fleet. Uh, we want to get them designed and structured and engineered in a way that is more, most cost efficient and fuel efficient. And most importantly at this point in time, that create jobs for our people because right here and now we've got to get the economy going. Kia ora. You got um, so I'd still just like to ask you to elaborate on, on how you picked your, um, the roading projects that, that, um, that you guys are committed to fund. So uh, specifically for Christchurch, uh, we looked at the uh, four-way expressway from Christchurch to Ashburton. Uh, we know that over the last 10 years, 27 people have lost their lives on that road. We know it's a dangerous road. We've had so many reports on it, and I'm sure uh, there's lots of independent proof on that. So that's one of the reasons we've picked that as an infrastructure project here. The majority of the infrastructure work is designed around where 50% of the population is and all the bottlenecks from Whangarei down through Auckland across uh, the coast uh, to the Bay of Plenty and the idea being to free all that up. We know that about 20 to 24% of our exports come out of Christchurch uh, and pretty much 65% comes out of the middle and upper North Island. So we need to make sure our infrastructure can carry that load in a safe and efficient way and that's how we selected them. Great, thanks Duncan. All right, <laughs> Dale, sorry. <laughs> right, um, so, um, Dennis, we um, tried to have a look at your policies but um, couldn't find them on your website, so I might just ask you to give an overview of them, please. Okay, yes, it's a very long transport policy. It's about 25 to 30 pages long, so that's the reason why it's not on, on the, uh, actually on the website. But I'll, I'll read out to you word for word uh, from our policy what the goal is. Sorry? Not all of it. <laughs> oh, not, not, not the whole 25 pages. Just, just the goal, just the goal. A comprehensive New Zealand transport strategy to guide transport planning and investment with the goal of building an integrated transport system which will be cost-effective, efficient, safe, secure and future-proofed and which will be economically, socially and environmentally sustainable with costs fairly charged to users and others who benefit and using positive incentives as well as, as well as supporting regulation to ensure that New Zealand's long-term transport needs are met in a timely and comprehensive manner. So that's quite a goal, but it's uh, one that we really stick to, and I'm going to begin with a few words about New Zealand's roads. Um, so we want to see that the whole network is properly maintained so that farmers and businesses are able to get their produce to the ports and processing uh, plants um, in an efficient manner and we haven't got that in New Zealand currently. If you look at some of the regional roads you'll realise that there hasn't been enough investment in actually the maintenance of them let alone improving them. So to that end uh, New Zealand first will support a practical and socially supportive and economically feasible demand management, uh, demand management system for roads so that we use them efficiently, including if, um, affordable and convenient park and ride facilities, road space prioritisation measures, parking management and pricing incentives and disincentives, and differentiated road pricing options on all major arterial routes. 
New Zealand First acknowledges the increasingly important part that cycling and walking play and I support very much what the City Council has been doing here in Christchurch to develop cycleways. Very well done. New Zealand First will pay particular attention to the need to upgrade highways serving ports, airports and other major generators of heavy transport while at the same time seeking to make much better use of the country's railway network. And in fact, um, when I was in Parliament, I wrote for New Zealand First a policy which was called Railways of National Importance. And, and there's a whole huge list of those things. Uh, and it was to counter the National Party's roads of, of national importance, because we think railways are more important than that. And along with coastal shipping, they have a huge future to play in New Zealand. Over the last three years, because of New Zealand First, a sum of $5.2 billion has been invested in railways. Previously, national governments would invest a few hundred million dollars a year. Not enough. We'll do better. Thank you, Dennis. Um, one, one question I'm keen to hear a bit more on is you talk about um, travel demand management and, and road user charging. Um, at the moment, uh, it's, it's quite a contentious topic up in Auckland particularly, but um, part of that is, is that local councils' hands are tied on, on that string. Um, what's, your, what's your party's view on that? Is are, are local governments the, the ones that should control that kind of power? Yeah, that is a very, very, very good question. And there is a resistance, especially in places like Auckland, uh, to road pricing, uh, which means paying for the roads as you use them, and it should be differentiated. So if you travel at peak times, you should you should pay more, and uh, if you if you travel on major arterial roads, you should pay more. And it would only it would only be for uh, major arterial roads, not local roads. So I think that should be acceptable, and most particularly, it does mean phasing out fuel taxes, and we all know what's going to be happening in the future. We've got electric vehicles which don't pay fuel taxes, so that has to be replaced anyway. I think our policy hangs together very well and should be acceptable to most people. Thanks, Dennis. Um, <laughs> right, um, so Chris, um, your party has, um, has been talking about how um, transport should be really the, the responsibility of local government and NZTA particularly. Um, so this is um, what our current system is, is modified on. So we're keen to hear, um, well, and we know that our current system is still resulting in increased transport emissions um, as time goes by. So we're keen to hear um, what your party's going to change to try to turn this around. Okay. Um I guess a lot of it's about the emphasis uh, that's in the government policy statement that controls what NZTA does. And so one of the things that's happened is that we've got rail and shipping, as Dennis was talking about, into the government policy statement. So those things are part of the network. We actually need to be getting people in, or providing the sort of transport that people need to get around the country. Um, uh, so focusing on roads, as the National Party are keen to do, it doesn't seem like a really good idea. It's just going to keep us driving. And it's going to be a long time before people completely replace their cars with electric cars. And that's not going to solve the problems of congestion and all the rest of it as well that we see in our cities. So um, building better, better rail networks, both um, within cities but also between cities and high-speed rail networks so that people don't have to, um, you know, think about getting, aren't getting into their cars to drive big distances. Um, 
And that, I mean, that's quite important between somewhere like Ashburton and Christchurch, where a lot of people commute every day, and you know, the amount of fuel that's being consumed in doing that needs to be, you know, minimised. Um, and we need, yeah, really good public transport in cities. Uh, so, you know, people need to go not just into the middle of the city, which is kind of how Christchurch Transport Network, for example, works, is that if you want to get on a bus, you have to get into the city and then you go out again. Actually, we need different ways of getting around so that it, it's not tempting to take the car and it doesn't take three times or four times as long to get on a, a you know, to get on a bus. Uh, likewise, we need some really good cycle facilities. Um, so we're seeing that starting in Christchurch, and that is a direct result of funding from NZTA as a result of the government policy statement and, and the um, policies of the Labour Green government and, and um, the ones at the end, New Zealand first. Thank you. Uh, <coughs> so um, we need to see more of that. And we need to see bigger and better because uh, even in Christchurch, you know, some of the cycleways that we have seem just a bit too narrow the more cycles we get on it. So um, there's a, a big drive to try and improve that and get uh, also a, a more, um, uh, what's the word, complete cycle network so that you don't sort of get shot off a cycleway into some truly horrible roads and have to compete with a whole lot of trucks and cars and goodness knows what. Uh, we need to make public transport free, so free for children and free for people over 65. Um, and that can be done with a travel card that will be New Zealand-wide. Um, that's quite important because families actually really struggle to use public transport at the moment uh, and having children free will make a huge difference to that. Um, I've got a friend who's got I think 10 kids and you know she wouldn't she just doesn't think about using the buses because by the time you've paid for 10 kids to get around the city it's actually cheaper to get in the car and drive them around. Um, okay is that enough? Okay. Yep. Sorry, I'm not taking any notice. That's a problem. Uh, <coughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. All right. Um, so that's um, broadly our, our transport section. So um, the next section is sort of a bit of a miscellaneous kind of bit. Um, so Dale, we're going to start with you. Um, we've already heard a little bit about um, agriculture and the emissions trading scheme. Um, given that agriculture is such a massive part of our climate emissions and that we have made these, um, these commitments to reduce our carbon emission goals, how, um, how are we going to um, do that if we don't have a market-based um, lever on our agricultural emissions? Thank you for that. And what I was saying before was that um, National completely agrees with the targets we think at this point in time, and in fact when the bill went through, we, we proposed seven changes to the bill as it was going through House and, and they weren't accepted. We would like to put them up again and it's around providing fairness to the farmers to give them the right amount of time. We believe in National that we don't have to lead the world in being the first to meet the targets. We have to be with the world in meeting those targets and we believe that we can do that by giving farmers more time and at the same time working on developing those alternative opportunities uh, in terms of all the other areas where we can make improvements to our carbon and our gas emissions. So uh, I, I do take umbrage at any thought that the National is not committed to zero carbon. We are. Uh, we, com we completely agree with the targets as they've been set by the Climate Change Committee. We just want to make sure that the farmers don't bear the brunt of all of this because 
if they have to destock their land, then they'll lose their, their business and their livelihood. We want to just be a bit fairer to them. Thanks for that. Um, Dennis, we'll move to you, um, and we'd like to ask you about the Provincial Growth Fund. Um, how do you see this helping us pivot to a zero-carbon economy? Thank you. Well, first of all, uh, the purpose of the Provincial Growth Fund, which is $3 billion over three years, uh, something very important to New Zealand first because we have felt for a long time that regional economies have suffered for a lack of government attention and a lack of government investment. And you can see that throughout the whole country. There's been a lot of attention to many other things and in particular to the city of Auckland. So the purpose is to assist regional New Zealand to participate in the country's economic and social progress by providing crown grants direct to qualifying businesses, local authorities and others, and by providing funds for infrastructure which would not otherwise be available. Now, some particular areas for attention uh, are transport, and of course that makes a major uh, contribution, or could make a major contribution to a carbon zero future. I've already mentioned something about that, with particular reference to the need to further develop our railway system, uh, and also to uh, ensure that coastal shipping plays a much greater role. I want to say something about energy reform, though, and, and as I've already mentioned, we need to progressively phase out the use of fossil fuels. We all know that. But what do we replace it with? Not just electric cars. We actually do need a hydrogen economy. And New Zealand is brilliantly placed to do that. We have the uh, renewable electricity available. TY Point in the future may become available to do that if the, if the smelter ultimately does close. I, I know for a fact uh, I'm on the board of Maritime New Zealand and I've been told by Maersk, the biggest shipping company in the world, that it intends to instruct its shipbuilders in the future to produce hydrogen-powered ships and not to produce diesel. We already have one company in New Zealand which has already announced that it's going to put a fleet, a fleet of uh, hydrogen trucks on the road. So it's already happening. We need to encourage all of that. In five years' time, you won't see uh, nearly as many fossil-fueled vehicles of all kinds as you do now. But agriculture is the big one, 50% of uh, emissions. We need to make sure that we have a comprehensive strategy to help them make the transition. And I think a national water use strategy would make a very big contribution to that. For the last 23 years, I have chaired the Central Plains Water Trust. And the purpose of that specifically is to make sure that further agricultural development in Canterbury is done sustainably. So we hold the resource consents and we license them to Central Plains Water Limited on the condition that it makes progress on a number of fronts. Uh, the ECAN has already provided new nutrient budgets and that will result in a 10% destocking of, for pastoral uh, within the next few years. And there are a lot of other changes coming too. We certainly support them all. Thanks for that. Um, right, now we're going to move to Chris. Um, and Dale, you might want to pay attention here because this one is, is particularly about... Um, we've heard a lot of, a lot of um, talk between uh, Labour and the Greens, but um, we're keen to hear what would, what would the Greens be interested from National in order to, um, to um, say, hey, maybe we'll come your way. 
Yeah, uh, hard question for a start. It's not the green politicians that actually make the decision about where the Greens will participate. It's actually the party. So the whole party has to agree to work with, as we did with Labour. We had to actually have a we had a national meeting of everyone around the country who was interested to talk about whether we would go into coalition with Labour and with New Zealand First. Um, so that's not something that I can make grand statements about that are going to stick. At the same time, I think um, there's a couple of ways to think about this. Yes, I can talk about, uh, about National and what they might need to change, and I'll do that in a minute. But equally, uh, before you push the Greens, or you want to push the Greens into coalition with National, you might want to think about the longevity of the Greens. The Maori Party, for example, has kind of disappeared off the scene because, I think, largely, they were in um, cahoots with National in the government before this one. Uh, and, yes, yeah, sorry about that. But I, I think it's, a, it's an issue. Um, so uh, what would National need to do? You know, I think they'd not not reinstate oil and gas drilling would be a, a one thing, not roll back the water reforms that they've talked about, not repeal the, the Zero Carbon Act. These are all things that probably um, not go backwards, as, as Duncan put it. You know, we need to at least stick with what we've got and move forwards. Um, if we're not doing that, why would anybody want to, um, like the Greens, want to go into government with national... Um, and I think we'd also want to see uh, quite a lot better support of workers as well as businesses. Um, we'd like to see a much a more just, a more focus on a, a bigger focus on a just transition. So I think that's lacking in some of National's policies. Um, and what else? Um, not spend billions on new roads. That would be another good one. Uh, so you know, we would like to see those billions spent on getting people into different kinds of transport and finding ways to, to move things around the country that aren't going to be problematic in the future. Oh, just a couple of comments. Poor old Māori party, that's a bit of an unfair hit. <laughs> Boy. Um, I can go into the politics around the Māori party, I won't. I just think that um, from my Māori side, I was delighted that the Māori Party went into a coalition with National because it gave them a chance to be involved at a much higher level than they would have otherwise been. Now, whether that was able to continue or not, that's politics long gone. Um, and that was a, 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 one of those things. Whether the Māori Party comes back, we have to wait and see. They're a completely different bunch now. In terms of whether National can work with the Greens, David, where are you? We discussed this the other night. I, I, in my heart of hearts, I would love to see National and the Greens work together. Um, I've, and I've been saying this all the time, that uh, green issues are those kind of issues that shouldn't be siloed into parties. They should be across all of government. We should reach accord on them and we should work towards them sustainably together because I think that's the best way to make progress. Now, where we've come, um, I guess, on a different kind of tangent is we want to be fair to farmers while we're at it. And I guess that's causing some of the issues. But you know, any notion of repealing the zero carbon, it, uh, that's not on our agenda at all. So if we get away from the headlines, I'd like to think that we can work together. And sure, there's some, uh, you know, unfortunately, in, in uh, coalition politics, there's trade-offs. But I think if we, if we put the environment at the centre of any discussions, I think then we have a fruitful discussion we could at least have. Thanks, Dale. <laughs> all right. Um, Duncan, the last question of section two, um, and again we'll go back to the emissions trading scheme. Um, so 
obviously you um, and your government have passed a few um, quite major reforms um, to it this this term, um, but there have been um, some changes that haven't been implemented that we would have liked to um, to have been implemented sooner rather than later. Um, so can you give us um, an overview of why these changes haven't been implemented straight away? Okay, well you didn't say exactly what they were, but I think um, the first thing I'll say is look, the... the um emissions trading scheme was placed on ice for nine years um, and nothing happened and essentially we had to modernise it uh, and upgrade it and make it essentially work ready. There's a whole lot of elements to it and I may be speaking kind of to people who know even you know know more than I do about it but at the top end you've got the Climate Commission which is uh, guides targets and policies. That's operational but you can't set up a commission which was essentially uh, formed about six or eight months ago and expect it to do all of the necessary work and deliver your targets straight away. So the next set of targets will come out, the targets will come out next year and that will guide the Minister for Climate Change's decisions and decision making around what those car, uh, those targets will be. The kind of next tranche of it is what's called the cap and trade scheme. In some ways it looks a little bit like tax but it's run on the basis of a market where carbon units are auctioned. So the Minister puts a sinking lid on carbon and the price goes up and behaviour changes. So that market is actually being developed now. It's going to be done on an auction. The cap has come off. There's a kind of market out there already, but the government will actually be auctioning carbon units. So that's a that's a fairly technical piece of work to get underway as well. Um, kind of in terms of the um, carbon going into the market, we all know where a lot of that comes from. That comes from trees. Frequently, you know, a lot of that's just um, trees and other units, but mainly trees. That part of the market's working fine. Um, the other part, in terms of how we measure and abs and uh, charge for carbon emissions, that's taking a bit more time. And of course, the other kind of thorn in the side is this thing called industrial allocation. Industrial allocation is the fact that we. Um, uh, essentially giving a little bit of a free ride, I'd say, to some of our industries um, by giving them carbon <coughs> carbon credits uh, so that the business doesn't go offshore to even worse uh, carbon-emitting em industries. Now, there is some sense behind it. The idea is that those um, industrial allocations will peg back over time. The fact of the matter is that those allocations were set in the 1990s, and in fact their carbon emissions are much better now than they were even then. So um, they're, they're essentially getting free carbon credits, which is actually free money, from the government. And there's a review being undertaken right now of that. So really, I, see, I guess the, the, the moral to the story is it's complicated shit and we're working as fast as we can, but we're absolutely get keen and dedicated to getting it on and having a functioning cap and trade carbon scheme where we drive the price of carbon up and incentivise other technologies and incentivise effective and efficient use of energy. All right. Thanks, Duncan. It is complicated, isn't it? <laughs> um, right. So, I mean, that brings us to the end of our, um, our organised questions. Have we got a time check? Okay, so we'll sort out some microphones and then we'll um, come back with some more questions. This is an election debate on issues affecting the climate hosted by Generation Zero on It's Getting Hot In Here on Plains FM. Now back to Tūranga for audience questions. Um, so first question will go for Dennis. Um, so 
people are quite keen to hear about um, particularly our South Island rail network. So the question is, the South Island has an underused rail network connecting our urban centres. So rather than building roads, how will we, um, how, how will we transition freight and passengers to rail? And, and that actually is, is the crux of um, our policy, is, is exactly that transition. Uh, I'd say this uh, to begin with, that I did hear the, the um, chairman of, um, the chairperson of Main Freight, uh, say not so long ago that they, they believe that rail is just as important to them as a good road network. And you might think, well, all you see is main freight trucks. But actually, they know as well as we do that what we've got currently isn't going to cope in the future, you know, with, with transport capacity doubling, requirements doubling every 10 years. Our roads will never cope with that. We actually have to use more coastal shipping, and we have to use more railways. That's why we've still got to start really investing in them and developing them properly now. <clears throat> so the best way to achieve the transition is something that's already happening, is to broaden the scope of the, the land transport fund so that it becomes a transport fund, not a land transport fund, a transport fund, and, uh, and the income from transport, however it may be raised, such as road pricing that I've already mentioned, all goes into the fund and from other sources, including Crown Grants, and it is then used, uh, applied uh, according to a transport strategy, which we need to develop more. We actually do have one now, but it needs to be, be developed much more, so that we need to know which kinds of freight will travel by uh, coastal shipping, what's the stuff that's best to, to do that. Obviously not sensitive freight, obviously not time-sensitive freight, uh, but big bulky stuff that can take a little bit more time should be going by coastal shipping. Uh, we know what the, the strengths of rail are. Uh, New Zealand is a long, narrow country uh, with a gap in the middle. And by the way, we do need better rail ferries. National refused to even consider the possibility of reintroducing a, a rail ferry. One of New Zealand's first major policies is to do that, and we've made progress on that already. Um, so rail ha has a, a huge role to play in connecting New Zealand's major areas of production uh, with big bulky stuff that can be moved efficiently by rail. Leaving road uh, transport for that sensitive and time sensitive stuff, therefore getting a lot of, lot of trucks that are currently on the road off the road. But, but, but pricing is a big issue. Now for rail, uh, we believe that it needs to be divided between a state corporation owning the rail network and maintaining it from Crown funds. And then the, just to finish off, the, there needs to be a, a capacity for people like Main Freight to operate their own trains as well as Kiwi Tra Rail, a state-owned corporation. So those are the kinds of things we'd like to see in answer to your question. Um, so, Dale, we've got quite a few people asking about um, the, um, again, your, your infrastructure plan and the expressways involved with that. Um, so, how will, um, how will the, the, um, the encouragement of car use, the induced demand that, that those expressways will, um, will create, how will they help us meet our climate goals or how will we work around it? So, uh, as I said in the opening remarks, the uh, infrastructure program around road is a 30-year project. So uh, the first of those projects would kick off in about four or five years because it's a long-term project. Um, of more immediate uh, importance to us, we feel, are the other infrastructure projects we've already announced. Uh, 
around education, dry wharf and whangarei hospitals, etc., etc. Uh, we also announced um, an EV policy to rapidly uh, increase the uptake of electric vehicles, including uh, tax incentives to buy into vehicles, etc., etc., uh, eliminating road user charges for three years, etc., etc., to get incentives to get uh, into EVs. The reality of this is, though, that we are still going to need roads uh, for electric vehicles, and more importantly, uh, one of the key things coming down the pipe is hydrogen for heavy transport. Now, um, as an example, uh, New Zealand steel can be converted to hydrogen capable uh, by putting a $6 million plant in place and then they can run all of their uh, facilities of hydrogen uh, relatively quickly and really, really safely. The, the economics of it show that, that hydrogen is better for uh, heavy usage uh, and electric is better for light usage. Regardless, those two forms are still going to need roads and bear in mind these are long-term projects because we're trying to factor in the growth and the northward drift of our population. Um, so Dale, I'll, I'll just follow you up on one thing. You're talking about um, electric vehicles, but there was a um, something earlier on, I remember, in, in this government's term, which was the electric car fee bait. Um, can, can you give us a bit of background about um, what was wrong with that and, and how, what, what other kinds of incentives you guys might are thinking about? To be fair, I can't remember all the details on that fee-bait scheme, but I know that there were certain people who were passionate about cars who didn't like it, etc., etc., and there were views that it was um, taking away people's right of choice of vehicles, etc. I'm more interested in how we go forward with things like uh, removing road user charges, uh, making removing taxes off the purchase of, of EVs and encouraging the purchase of EVs. Um, the research that I've seen uh, from Rodcar uh, shows that we're about two years away from EVs being a really economical purchase price compared to petrol. So we know now that we've got our first uh, EV um, SUV, God, acronyms everywhere, um, our first electric suburban vehicle uh, under $55,000 retail, which now is starting to get competitive pricing and it's also getting competitive um, uh, distance capability. So in another two years' time, I think you'll find that uh, the whole EV market will become f very much to the front. And, and what the other thing we want to do is move the government uh, within three years into a third of the entire government fleet being EV. Now, I know this was uh, something profited by the, the current government. Uh, so far, they've only managed to get 100 vehicles. Uh, it does take time because you've got to build the infrastructure around it, and I get that. Um, what concerns me in this regard is the number of new inner-city dwellings being built at the moment with car parks that they aren't putting charging stations in or even putting the cabling in to get them ready for charging. So this is, once again, a bit short-sighted, and I prefer to take a longer-term view. My, my wife and I have got a business plan around getting a, an EV, our next vehicle, which will be in about 18 months, two years' time, uh, because that's the way we want to go. Thanks, Dale. Right, next question we might move to um, Duncan. So um, there's a question here about the, um, about the rebuild and, and how, how uh, sustainable our buildings have been since then. Um, so can I get you to comment on um, um, perhaps the, um, what you guys are going to do about making sure that the new buildings that, that we're building now are going to be um, sustainable going forward? Um, all right. Yeah, look, that's a really um, important point. And there is a whole lot of work being done. It's um, 
around uh, building products um, and also the way we build because there's a whole chain in terms of from the essentially from the uh, building products to the finished product. And one of the things we do is we use pretty um, archaic methods in delivering timber to a building site and then hammering nails in and so on. Uh, so one of the things that has actually just uh, started is modular building. So building essentially off-site and in a factory where it's cheaper, it's more, it's more efficient, and there's considerably less waste, which is also a significant contributor. Um, the other thing is making it much more streamlined to certify building products, because one of the things is there's a whole lot of innovative products there, um, overseas, and also uh, you know developed in New Zealand. But it's quite a long and quite an expensive process to get a building product certified. Um, and a lot of those products are a lot more energy efficient, a lot less expensive to produce. And they've got some real advantages. So we want to get uh, streamline that as well. Um, and obviously, you know, one of the big um, hot issues for me as a central city MP is the urban development strategy, where we're promoting a much more uh, dense city, um, one that's built much more upwards and uh, in, in the inner city like this if we were to build apartments it would essentially uh, have a presumption that it was going to be six stories high. Um, was that for me? <laughs> it's, it's just under... Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, that kind of stuff as well is all about building efficient cities that have car... And look, the Resource Management Act, whenever we're granting a consent now, um, the carbon emissions is a consideration. So, and that's a huge leap forward that you kind of brush over. But hang on, if you're going to build a new structure, whatever it might be, if you're going to build a swimming pool, if you're going to build a stadium, what is its carbon footprint? That now is a consideration. And, you know, people who are interested can go and make submissions on the basis that the design or the use of that building is a bad idea because of its carbon footprint. That is a massive leap forward. So there's a whole lot going on in that space. Cheers. The uh, consideration of, of carbon emissions and the resource management, I thought that, has that come into effect already or is that at some future date? No, that's passed already. Passed already. Oh, great. Yeah, it's my carbon footprint. I've got to shrink it. God damn. Um, I don't know if you know the, uh, where the old Christchurch police station was, but it's now um, uh, Ngaitahu uh, building there. Um, if you ever get a chance, have a look at the way there's a, um, out the back of the building in the car parking area, They've, it shows how the building is now powered through the water bore coming up from the ground. And so the heating and the cooling of the building is provided through, uh, I guess, a centrifugal kind of, it's physics, I'm not big on physics. Um, but that building is a great example of the kind of technology now available, especially in Christchurch with the artesian bores below the ground, where you can create that generation of energy without having to go on the national grid. So it's fantastic. Thanks, Dale. Um, Right, so um, Chris, we've got a question about your um, transport policy, um, particularly around the um, uh, about about how your transport policy, um, the people that it, it doesn't um, affect. So you've talked about free free public transport for kids, and we've al already got it for um, for seniors. But what about um, what about people in the middle, and um, particularly people that are, might be hard off on on welfare or things like that? Um, yeah, well, uh, the Greens also have quite strong policy. Um, related to putting up uh, base benefits and increasing the uh, income for people at the lower echelons of society who are struggling at the moment. Um, and we're the, actually the only party that actually has some of that very clear. Um, we need to increase those, 
those um, incomes. So that, okay, <laughs> there you go. There's another one. Goody. Um, uh, so yeah, so I think that's that's a big part of it. Um, and and actually having transport that is affordable and goes where people want as well, so that they're not having to go big distances. And I'm thinking of the likes of people in Linwood, for example, who want to get to the supermarket. It's a long way to walk, uh, but actually um, getting a bus is, is quite a mission, and it's, and it's one very time-consuming, which is also expensive, um, as well as being expensive, expensive in money. So um, if we have transport that actually gets people where they want to go in a decent amount of time, then that's also going to help. I think that's all I want to say. Thanks, Chris. Um, right, for the um, last question, another big um, big item on the agenda is the Resource Management Act. Um, so I know we've, we've had some quite um, different uh, ideas come out from Labour and National, um, particularly, so I was wondering if maybe, Dale, if you could first talk about how you see the Resource Management Act going under your watch. Actually, I think both parties are in agreement that the RMA needs to be dumped and restarted, is that right? Uh, I'm reluctant to agree, but probably. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would. Uh, so um, we, we believe there's the opportunity for two pieces of legislation, one around uh, environmental um, matters to do with development and another one around urban uh, planning. And it w very important that we get rid of the 800 amendments and all the rigmarole around the current RMA uh, to encourage and drop the prices of consenting because that'll encourage more people into home ownership to start with. Uh, we also believe that that'll help the environment because you can deal with the environmental issues at the same time as you're dealing with the urban planning issues. So you get the double view of a particular development. Next, Dale. Um, so, uh, David Parker, Minister for the Environment, commissioned a, a big review by an environment court judge, Judge Randerson, and it's huge. But it came out with um, a few things. One, Dale's touched on, that the kind of rules around built environment uh, need to be dealt with one way, and rules around the natural environment are a different, you know, they're uh, different in nature. So, we need to have two separate pieces of legislation. In terms of the Resource Management Act, I think it's really important to recognise that there's not a proposal that we kind of burn those regulations and it's a free-for-all, build whatever you want, um, but that it's much more tailored. So that when you're doing a big, if you're going to build an airport in Paris, for example, um, then there's going to be a very robust process around that with a very robust appeals process. But it won't be the same process if you want to build a slightly oversized and incredibly ugly four-bedroom house in, you know, suburban Shirley. That's, that's, that's a much smaller question, and the kind of consenting and appeals process will be a, a lot less uh, onerous. Um, so, Because one of the problems with the Resource Management Act is, and we've got a problem with the Youth Hub down here in Christchurch that you may be aware of, you know, it's very easy um, to if you've got enough money to stop something simply by the appeals process going on forever. Sometimes that's important if you've got a very large project with a lot of you know, really interested stakeholders. But if it's just a, you know, neighbor, essentially a neighbour dispute, well, we need to have a much uh, quicker, cheaper and effective process. The other thing I'll just mention in terms of, because I think it's the most, next most interesting thing, is the idea of... Um, adverse impacts, because we probably all heard it bandied around that if the impact is less than minor, or um, 
you know, less than minor, then it doesn't have to be notified. You can just go and get your consent. The problem is, of course, that if you're in a neighbourhood and everyone has a tiny uh, deviation from the district plan, you end up with thousands of them and your neighbourhood's ruined. So really the question to ask is, um, does it improve? The question is, does this proposal improve or not? Um, rather than just saying, oh, it doesn't make it much worse, the question is, does it improve it? So that's that's the other big shift that will be in the resource management reforms if the Labor's party is in. Thanks, Duncan. Yes, over the last two years, uh, I've worked on um, uh, the um, resource management uh, reference panel, which was advising the government on what we thought should go into the new resource management legislation. It was a very interesting exercise, a whole variety of different people with different agendas, but a lot of very good work was done. And what they're proposing, and the report has already been published, what they're proposing is two um, pieces of legislation. One will be called the Natural and Built Environments Act, uh, which is not effects-based like the RMA. It would be outcomes-based instead, which is, I think, a, a big leap forward because it is the outcomes we're really interested in the end and not just trying to judge whether an effect is minor or something else. Uh, didn't work very well. Uh, and the RMA, of course, as we all know, was highly bureaucratic and didn't actually do very much in terms of protecting the environment. The other piece of legislation, the Strategic Planning Act, would be subordinate to the NBEA and it would be based on a, a, a more streamlined process for consenting and would be particularly aimed at allowing much better spatial planning for urban areas but also the whole country, not just urban areas and we haven't had that under the RMA. It's been a bit of a hodgepodge based on applications and based on all sorts of excuses why that application should be allowed or should not be. Spatial planning means, in effect, a much more orderly system of, of, um, of allowing for developments to take place. And in particular, it would, allow to, it would ensure capacity. We know that we, we reached a point in New Zealand where there wasn't enough land for housing, uh, simply because the spatial planning hadn't really been done. We had uh, boundaries of cities, which didn't really mean very much. We didn't have transport-led development, and we need that. Other cities have it. So you plan your transport first, and then you do your development around it. That works very well. Why the hell aren't we doing it here? Thanks, Dennis. Chris, did you want to comment on that one too? I'm, I'm not actually sure exactly what our Green Party policy is, so I have to be a bit careful here. Um, but I, I do know that there's a lot of there's been a lot of conversation around actually changing it, and the fact that the the, the whole effects based uh, way that the RMA works hasn't worked at all, um, or hasn't worked well, perhaps. Um, and it's also, um, you know, a lot of this is around process and uh, how you govern that. So the, the Town and Country Planning Act had a lot of problems and I guess we just need to move on to the next iteration of this quite complex area. Um, and, and as I say, the Green Party has got some strong policy on this. I just don't know what it is. I'm happy to look it up if anybody wants to come to me at some stage and talk about it. Great. Thanks, Chris. Okay, well, um, 
we might call it there. Um, thank you very much, um, all you candidates, for fronting up and for actually putting your names in the hat to, to actually go and serve us in, in, in Parliament. Um, I'm sure it can't be a glamorous job, but <laughs> someone's got to do it. <laughs> um, thank you to the audience for coming along. Um, so maybe just to finish a couple of things that you guys could do um, to make sure that, that our um, objectives at Generation Zero um, are, you know, are met, because obviously we're all concerned about something around here, and, and so the three things you could do is involve yourself in politics, um, so get along, make sure you vote based on what you want to do, hit these guys up if they're doing stupid things, um, and, and submit on things that interest you through the local government and things like that. Um, you can make sure you sign up to our mailing lists if you, need, um, if you want information around that. You can make some changes yourselves around eating a little bit less meat, um, leaving the car at home, things like that. Um, go to the effort of finding out your own carbon footprint. Um, and then the third thing you can do is just talk to your peers, talk to your colleagues and normalise these kinds of things um, because the more we talk about it, um, the, the, more, uh, the less things get swept under the rug and the, more, um, the longer sort of the election cycle becomes. We tend to have this two and a half years off, six months on kind of thing and it means um, things do get swept under the rug. So thank you everyone for coming and um, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to It's Getting Hot In Here on Plains FM. If you want to check out the podcast, go to the Plains FM website.